Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Ken's Five, the official TV station of the San Antonio Spurs. Today we're going to dish all about the San Antonio Spurs and the upcoming NBA draft. And with me today, uh, I've got Tom Petrini, digital sports writer. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm all right, Jackson. It's uh, it's good to be in the building. And I mean, draft night is one of my favorite nights of the whole entire year. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited. And then, of course, we've got, he's tan, he's refreshed, he's back from California, <laughs> sports director Joe Reinagle, fresh off a of Cowboys camp. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing great, and I'm with Tom on that. I love draft day, but I also like the upcoming free agency period, man. That's always a fun time full of speculation and and high hopes. So I'm looking forward to all of it the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for, for the lack of basketball being played, uh, this is about as fun of a four weeks as you can have, I think, coming up between yeah. uh, the draft free agency and then uh, heading into Summer League, which we'll also have to talk a little bit about yeah. towards the end of the podcast here. Of course, uh, just uh, off the top here, just want to wish Manu Ginobili a happy birthday, one of the patron saints of the podcast, celebrating another uh, year on this uh, bright blue globe uh, circling the, the, the sun here. Uh, another trip around the sun, I think, is the phrase I'm, I'm trying to land. And um, also, he seems to be just loving it. I mean, you know, just seeing all these beautiful places around said beautiful globe and, uh, you know, doing bike rides and hikes with his family. It seems like a great time. Yeah, I, I think we talked about one. it last time. He's really embraced the family man uh, side of this all. So, uh, yeah, happy birthday, Manu. Uh, also, guys, feels a lot better to be doing this pod after Team USA notched a win in the Olympics, a 50-point blowout uh, against uh, the Iranian team, which I believe had one NBA player on it. He one plays the Memphis Grizzlies, one former NBA player. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how much credence are you putting into the win versus the loss they've uh, suffered versus France? Uh, it remains to be seen. I think they need one more game under their belt, but they definitely looked more like kind of what the expectation was for this team. Um, but, you know, after that loss against France, um, a lot of the criticism – directed at Team USA, uh, was directed at Coach Popovich, uh, Greg Popovich, um, who uh, took a lot of the heat there for, for what was the lack of coaching, lack of plays, lots of sets, I think, was the, the criticism you heard there. Uh, of course, Popovich had all of 10 days to incorporate a basketball offense and defense into this roster of uh, ragtag teammates brought together. Um, how much of the criticism, Joe, would you say is warranted towards Popovich for, for what, what the, uh, None of the, the lack of success? None of it. It's a good answer. <laughs> I don't think any of it is. I mean, you know, I mean, you're talking about it, people talking about sets and plays and everything else. I saw a lot of guys with wide open looks and a bunch of bricks thrown up. I mean, I, I don't know what Pop has to do uh, to, to make shots. I mean, that's not his responsibility. Those guys got to go out there. They're in the right position. Uh, and they were just missing wide open looks. I mean, you know, sometimes that happens and, and it happened against France. I don't know if, you know, was it a lack of uh, conditioning? Was it a uh, lack of focus? Or was it just one of those nights? But I don't think it has anything to do with Greg Pop. Yeah, and Popovich going into the Olympics, Tom was was very much a uh, a perpetrator of the of the narrative that you know international basketball isn't what it was four years ago, right? It's it's grown and expanded, and it's been exponential. And, and the team they faced in France is a team that plays together much more often than the team that Team USA is. You know, uh, how much of that do you think plays into to what the Team USA is trying to uh, adapt to right now in terms of playing this FIBA style basketball? I think that the people who have seen the you know, underwhelming results from this Team USA squad, a lot of them want to point to something or someone and be like, this is why it's wrong and this is why they're not as good as they should be. And I think that a lot of that comes from this kind of arrogant, like, basketball manifest destiny. Like, you know, Team USA should never lose to anybody. 
we should wipe the floor with every one of these other countries that is daring to try to play this game with us. And uh, that's not how it is now. It's not how it's been since, like, 2000? 2004 was when they lost to Argentina, and all around, international basketball has gotten better every year since then. And, yeah, Pop has been the one banging the drum like, hey, we got to respect these teams because they can all beat us. And they can. Um, And, you know, I said something to this effect uh, the other night on Twitter, and I had somebody try to tell me, like, you know, oh, well... The Olympics before this, they wiped the floor and, you know, showed the the gold medal game where they won by, they beat Serbia by 30 points, I think. They also, in that same Olympics, beat Serbia by three. They beat France by three. They trailed Australia at halftime. And the elimination game against Spain was close throughout. So the idea that USA basketball should just be throttling everybody like they're that you know, undermatched Iranian team. It's just not how it is. Yeah. Uh, a thought that I had was like, you know, if if Vince Carter tries Le Dunc de Mort on Rudy Gobert, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think that everybody really needs to appreciate the uh, the level of that international competition. And, you know, the, the t- Team USA has been struggling a little bit executing. Uh, there's There's the dynamic that, like, you know, Patty Mills and Evan Fournier in the NBA, they're complimentary stars. At the at the FIBA level, they're asked to do so much more. And so then they play with that swagger, that confidence. And then you have Team USA guys who are used to being the guy on their team, and now they're trying to defer because they've got all this greatness around them. Uh, and people are blaming that on, on Greg Popovich and saying, like, oh, he's overcoaching them and, like, getting them to overpass or whatever. I don't think that, like... Asking the guys to think about shot selection is a bad thing for the team. There's certainly something to be said for letting them play and, and uh, you know, getting them out there, getting them to to just be in the flow as, as their own, you know, play ball the way they do. Uh, but, like, all these people who are like, oh, he's trying to implement the Spurs offense and it's not working. I want to ask those people what the Spurs offense is. Yeah. What their idea of the <laughs> Spurs offense is. Because it's changed a lot in the last 20 years and in the last five years or so, basically since the beautiful game, like Pop dismantled that to be pretty ISO based because that's what the players were best at. Yeah. So people who were like, oh, he's, he's trying a beautiful game, this team, and just let him play ball. Like that's not what's happening here. Yeah. Uh, go back to what you're talking about, the roles. Uh, I think that's why we're seeing Drew Holiday succeed in this because he's not adjusting his role he's not a star player who's trying to step back or a complimentary player risen into a star role he's Drew Holiday he is one of the best defensive perimeter players he uh, can get you a bucket when he needs to um, but he also knows how to defer and that's what he's doing for this Olympics team and I think having him in the starting lineup I think was a really good call uh, and having him kind of the adjustment they made to, to bring Booker in on the starting lineup as well what was, uh, proved to be good. I mean, again, against an Iranian team with one former NBA player. So we'll see how that holds water. Joe, is this a uh, medal winning team here that we're seeing from Team USA? Yeah, I think it is. You know, and, and, and going back to what Tom was saying, you know, a lot. To, this has a lot to do with chemistry, right? I mean, you can have all the talent in the world and still be out of whack. Right. You still need to develop that chemistry. And I think that's one thing that these other teams have and are way ahead of the game uh, versus the U.S. And so I think the more they play together, the more they figure it out. 
And you mentioned Drew Holiday coming in. I think that's ideal because of what he can do. I think the, the, the team was lacking that before he got there. And I think that's going to make a heck of a difference. And obviously, Devin Booker coming in. I mean, that's a, he's a special talent. And so I think this team is going to come together and, and really surprise some folks. And, yes, I think they walk away uh, with a medal here in the Olympics. Whether that's gold or not, I don't know. But they'll certainly be standing on that podium at the end. And I think that's – I mean, any medal they win against this stacked field, because it is a stacked field, the uh, Slovenian team behind Luka Doncic looks amazing. France is always going to be hard to beat. Spain is really good this year. Um, any medal, I think, is still an Australian. So Australian teams, yeah. great too. Uh, yeah. our, our other spur in the Olympics, Patty Mills, looking like FIBA Patty once again, dropping uh, 25 points uh, in the Australian win over the Nigerian team as well. Tom, are they a medal team to you? The Boomers are, I mean, when, when a lot of people talk about international basketball, you know, they're thinking about European teams and like, you know, that, that's just, I mean, maybe, maybe 20 years ago that was sort of the dominant and, and still a lot of good teams coming out of Europe. But Australia is like mostly NBA players in the rotation. Um, you've got Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, um, Matisse Teibel, who, I mean, like, like watching him play defense at any level is so much fun. Uh, but especially on this smaller FIBA court where, you know, you, the, the three-point line is a little closer. He's been a, a menace. Patty's been a menace. Um, they're just a really fun team to watch, man. And, like, to think they, they could in future years have Ben Simmons on that team. Yeah. Um, but, mm. I mean, this is a team that has, cons- has consistently given USA a run for their money the last five years or so. And I think that this year will be no different. And I'm sure Patty wants to, you know, get that team as far as they can go. So I think the next time we gather as podcasters, we'll have a result here uh, against the medals, uh, seeing how Team USA and Team uh, Australia does. Uh, and we'll, we'll see how that, that pans out as well. Of course, um, USA, I think their next match is a another... Um, um, Group stage. Round robin group group stage match against the Czech Republic. Right, and that the winner of that game will then advance yeah. to the knockout stage, uh, and loser goes home. And because Team USA did lose that that game to France, which by the way, you know they they beat France by three in Rio, lost by two here, and on that last possession they had about three open looks for three, yep. one from Kevin Durant, uh, and just clang clang clang, yeah. and they were down two. Uh, and, you know, uh, of all of the things to blame on Greg Popovich, I thought that, you know, putting it, juxtaposing it with that clip was the funniest because it was like, yeah, uh, I can't imagine a situation where the team is down two and uh, they've already missed a couple of threes and Pop's not like, drive the ball. Yeah. Like, get, get bucket. Uh, and also, he just shouldn't have told them to miss the shots. Like, that was terrible coaching on his part. I know. So. Just- Preach, preach, making him, preach, making him. Um, I think so. You know, he's he's got to work on that. Honestly, you'd think he's been a coach for twenty years. You would tell the guys make the shots, but he's trying this new thing. He's got potential. Tells you to miss. Yeah. But, uh, we'll we'll see if he ever amounts to anything. Yeah. Uh, before we pivot away from the Olympics, because there's a lot to talk about in the Spurs world as well, I just want to talk to you guys. I mean, did any of you guys, uh, you, Joe, or Tom, catch the three-on-three tournament, the basketball tournament that was underway? Because to me, it was some of the most exciting basketball I've watched. It's fast-paced. It's energetic. It's aggressive. They're allowed to be a little more physical. Um, it was a lot of fun. The women's team won gold uh, this morning behind uh, the, some some WNBA greats and Stephanie Dolson, Kelsey Plum, Alicia Gray. Uh, just a, a fantastic team to watch there on their end. 
should we be setting aside a few NBA players to make a run at a three on three tournament at the next Olympics? Is that something you would be interested in seeing, Joe? Sure. Why not? I mean, it's fun to watch. Yeah. You know, it is fun to watch. And so why not? If those guys want to do that, I, I wonder, um, you know, which guys would want to do that. That would be my question. And, and you know, who's willing to do it? But it, but it's fun. And I think, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that. Certainly. Yeah. I think it makes a pretty natural extension of like USA basketball, right? Like there are going to be some guys who don't quite make the cut, but still could be really competitive uh, in that event. Anytime Kelsey Plum is playing basketball, I'm trying to watch it because she is spectacular. Uh, I, I interviewed her on her draft night uh, when she was actually drafted to come here to San Antonio. She never made it because the team moved to Vegas. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we're talking about one of the highest scoring college basketball players of all time behind, I think, only Pistol Pete. Yeah. Um, and in that three-on-three game, I mean, you said it, fast-paced, aggressive, and Kelsey Plum is a nightmare to guard. Uh, in the half court. So um, really, really fun basketball. I would encourage anybody to go watch those highlights. And like, like if you're teaching a kid how to play basketball, tell them to watch Kelsey Plum. Yeah. I think three, if you're, if you're going to do a three on three team, maybe pull three of the best rookies, you know, next, uh, next Olympics. I don't know who, who will be around Bronny. I don't know. You might be in a free agent before the next Olympics rookie before the next free uh, Olympics. But if, if we're this year watching, you know, Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball. Not Anthony Edwards. Yeah, Anthony Edwards. Yeah. And LaMelo Ball and, um, you know, that third rookie I'm Wiseman. forgetting about. Wiseman, yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's a fun, that's a fun three-on-three three team. I want to so. see – I think this is what would get LeBron out to the Olympics again is if it's, if it's Bronny Jr. and LeBron and, like, you know, one, two other people. Bugs D- Bunny. D-Wade and his kid. <laughs> oh, D-Wade and his kid. There Yo. You go. Oh, my gosh. I think that's the – I think that's it right there. I'm sold. Um, <laughs> at, at, while we're on the topic of Los Angeles, it's a good time to segue to the other news uh, coming out of Spurs camp. Um, DeMar DeRozan joined uh, Shannon Sharp's podcast this week uh, to talk about his upcoming free agency decision. And during that, he said his decision will be all based on winning. It's all about winning at this point in his career. Uh, and then he also spoke about what it means to play for his hometown Lakers. I know there's some other teams who offer him that winning chance who may be able to pay him more money, like the Washington Wizards is a team that's interested, and he'd take a $20 million deal to play there. It was kind of some scuttlebutt uh, dropped this week. Uh, but it sounds like Los Angeles may be the destination for him. If you look at Los Angeles's salary cap situation, the Lakers specifically, uh, to do that, they'd have to orchestrate a sign-and-trade with the Spurs. Otherwise, DeMar DeRozan has taken a $20 million pay cut. Uh, to, to sign the MLE. And as much as Tamar might want to win and play for his hometown, I don't see him giving up that kind of money. Joe, if a sign and trade is in the works between the Lakers and the Spurs, what kind of value can the Spurs get from guys like, I don't know, Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell Pope, whom have been shopped to every team in the league, if you believe uh, reports from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski? Uh, are those guys that benefit the Spurs in the long run, or is there another ulterior motive to bringing in someone like that? Well, you know, Kyle Kuzma has been rumored to the Spurs since the Kawhi Leonard days, right? When they were talking about possibly trading him, and he was a, a prospect here. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think Kuzma would fit well in San Antonio. I wouldn't mind seeing him here. And I think he, he would be somebody that, that would help this team. I think he's still got, you know, obviously some good years left and uh, maybe his best years mm. left, perhaps. And I think in San Antonio, he'd be okay. Um, yeah, I just don't know, though, if the Spurs are interested 
in what the Lakers have. And I'd be interested to hear what Petrini thinks about this too. But, I mean, I'm just not sure that there's enough there or if the right pieces are in place that the Spurs would orchestrate a trade like that. I mean, you know, DeMar's a nice guy and all, but when it comes down to it, it's all about winning. And I'm just not sure, uh, especially the two guys you mentioned, I, I don't know if Pop would be interested in that or the Spurs in general. Yeah, Tom, is that the best move for the Spurs' interest? Um, I, if he's going to walk for nothing and they can acquire draft capital, it's something that they have to consider. Yeah. Um, the the thing is, you know, if they if they can't move Kyle Kuzma, um, I'm I'm a little less stoked on the prospect of bringing him into San Antonio. And if it happens, we can go back and delete all this. Sorry, <laughs> Kyle. Uh, but you know, I like like one of the things that I said about Trey Lyles was that he he kind of plays like a, a Kuzma role almost. Yeah. And um, you know, we we saw Lyles kind of wash out here. Um, I I really don't expect him to be back in a San Antonio Spurs uniform. I don't think I'm breaking any news when I say that. Uh, Speaking of, like, that was such a weird end of the season for him. I don't know if we've really fully dove into it. Uh, There's been nothing kind of released around that or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, anyways. It was weird. Um, I I think that the decision basically came down to um, we need to prioritize minutes for Keldon Johnson. Yeah. And because DeMar DeRozan is here and because we've got – DeJounte and Derek White and Lonnie Walker, he, that's got to come at the four. But, um, yeah, the, that he didn't play more given all of that was was still a little weird. Um, Kuzma, I mean, theoretically he does a lot of things on the court that the Spur, this group of Spurs would probably find valuable. But, like, if they are going after John Collins this summer, which I – I, all all signs point to they're they're looking at it pretty strongly. Um, then you've got a power forward slot on the roster where a guy like Lucas Shamanich is never going to get minutes. Yeah. Because um, then you then you have to play Collins and Kuzma. Um, I think it, it comes down to contract, right? Like Kentavious yeah. Caldwell Pope might be the better person to bring in because his contract is expiring, and that's a valuable piece for a team like Oklahoma City who, who right. wants to, to earn draft capital to bring him in. But at the same time, too, like it's, it's another move for the Spurs to make in that sense. It comes down to what draft capital, I guess, the, the Spurs can get from the Lakers, and you probably want something after LeBron retires and Anthony Davis's contract expires. Uh, the Lakers also send a lot bevy of picks to New Orleans, so there's not much capital to be given, right? You, so. you mentioned the reported hesitance to deal Kawhi to the Lakers yeah. in, that, in that whole deal. Yeah, Joe, you um, brought that part up. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that... Yeah, uh, I, I think that one of the differences here might be that, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. DeMar is not as strong a player as Kawhi, and it's three-point shooting and his defense that are the two main differences. Mm. And especially on a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like, if you're, if you're adding Kawhi Leonard to something like that, yeah, nightmare. Absolutely. Don't do that. Uh but if you're adding DeMar DeRozan to that, you could look at that and be like, spacing's going to be a little messed up there. Like, like this isn't, like, it, it isn't the most, uh, you know, perfect fit for Los Angeles. He's probably going to be the best, one of the best players they can get. 
yeah. uh, take some of the, the playmaking burden off, off of LeBron, something that people say all the time. And, you know, it seems like the thing to do would just be surround him with t- defenders who can shoot yeah, um, and, and keep the ball in his hands. But, um, you know, I, I think that that might make the Spurs a little less uh, averse to helping the Lakers if they think, really, we're not helping them that much. Yeah. So, Joe, DeMar for the Spurs last season averaged 21 points, 7 assists. He took sh- 16 shots a game. Uh, he was arguably one of the most clutch players in the NBA, but he was the guy down the stretch for the Spurs hitting the big shots. How do the Spurs replace all of that offense? Is that someone on the team who's stepping up, or is it a guy they have to bring in on free agency or in the draft? What, what's the best option here for the Spurs? Well, I think it's a combination of the guys that they have, in my opinion. I mean, I think when you look at a DeJounte Murray and a Keldon Johnson and a Derek White, hopefully back healthy and ready to go, and and a Lonnie Walker, I mean, I think all of those guys have to learn how to do that. I don't think there's one guy that the Spurs have on the roster right now that that can do that by themselves, at not at least not at this point in time. So I think it depends on which way Pop wants to go or, or the Spurs in general. Brian Wright, I mean, where, how do they want to go? Do they want to trade away some of their young core to try and bring in some veteran, uh, you know, big-name guys? Um, or, or do they want to continue to grow this team? I think, it's, I really believe, and I, I look at the Phoenix Suns, and I think the Phoenix Suns did this the right way. And they grew that team and grew that team. And look, they're in the NBA Finals. And I think they've got a bright future ahead of them. And I think the Spurs can do the same thing with the young core stars that they have right now. They're going to get a big draft pick, it looks like, at number 12, uh, you know, the draft day. So that's going to certainly help and add another piece to that puzzle. So um, I would like to see the Spurs, even if it means going through some another year or two of growing pains with the guys that they have, I would like to see them keep this core of players together and watch them grow. Obviously, you've got some money, and you want to add some talent. I think John Collins would be ideal to come in here. However, I, I don't want to see them, you know, all these rumors about trading away Derek White, Shante Murray, and unless they're going to get a, a nice haul for them or something, and certainly in value. But I would like to see this team continue to grow together and see what they can do uh, a year, two, three years from now. Tom, does that mean we're looking at an all-star season for Murray coming up here? Or is it Keldon Johnson, who was in the Rising Star? Is he the one who's going to take the biggest leap? Where are you looking for from for those two guys? I mean, if DeMar DeRozan is gone, and to be yeah, clear... I'm sorry, yeah, we are running him out of the, the, the yeah, door here. So. To, to, be, to be clear, like, you know, he didn't say anything specifically about leaving the Spurs. There was some reporting that San Antonio's still, like, technically in the mix. Um I just don't see it for either party making the most sense. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason why is because, you know, like Joe said, I, I think that the Spurs front office is going to want to put more responsibility onto the shoulders of these young players and see what they can do. Uh, last year, in terms of, uh, you know, who was the best player on this team, I think it was pretty much, you know, DeMar and DeJounte Murray 1A, 1B. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Murray contributing a, a little bit less offensively, but running a lot of the pick-and-roll offense that DeMar wasn't and bringing a whole lot more on defense. Um, so, you know, if he's getting more of those opportunities, uh, I think he could make a push for an all-star team. It's important to remember, though, DeMar was the best player on this team and didn't make the all-star team. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to come down to team success 
um, in, in, in that discussion. Um, I think that the, the players who really stand to gain the most if DeMar DeRozan leaves are uh, Derek White will, will get a, a much bigger chunk of playmaking in that starting lineup. Uh, Lonnie Walker looked really, really good in the games where DeMar DeRozan was unavailable this year. Uh, and Keldon Johnson, if he's able to play his more natural position at the small forward while a guy like John Collins plays the four, uh, I think that'll be really good for him as well. Yeah. So if if that's the way that this is going to go, um, you know, I, I expect the Spurs to sort of reinvest in the youth, and I, I really don't see a significant trade happening. Yeah, this definitely seems like the time to fully commit to the young core. You know, we, we saw it as more of like a, 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 a like a, um, kind of a shadow rebuild, you know, bringing these young guys while you have talent like LaMarcus and DeMar uh, kind of leading the way. But now it's fully on the young core and, right. and there will be no kind of kind of anything holding them back. Right. So it's fully unleashed here. And that's a young core they're adding to this Thursday. We're 24 hours away from the draft now. Um, and this is a very important piece. As you're saying, Joe, they're picking in the lottery one more time. Second year in a row, they're picking in the lottery. Uh, they're at that number 12 spot. This is going to be a valuable place to add to this young core. Looking at the roster and the holes they need, what's the biggest kind of hole to fill, the void to fill uh, going into the drafts? Tom, what, what are you seeing here? Well, I, I look at this team and I see two main needs, mm-hmm. which are big man depth, uh, at, you know, Power forward center, just front court help, and ideally versatility uh, there, and then shooting overall. Yeah. They, they need uh, floor spacing and somebody who can, uh, you know, put put up shots at a pretty high volume and efficiency. Um, so, I mean, lo- looking at at a, at a pick like twelve, there's a good argument to be made that like you throw positional need out the window and just get the best guy available. Um, which I understand completely, um, but you know we, we've been looking at this and, and something that we talked about before the show was just sort of the, the type of players who are available in that range. I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at 12, it feels like a big man is, is, is going to be available. There's a bevy of them that are falling in that 8 to 15 range. Um, so, I mean, there might be some that people reach on ahead of the Spurs, but they're going to have their pick of the litter. And looking at the players they've brought in, they've brought in a few guards, but it has trended towards seeing the, the big men on the roster. Joe, is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Maybe that it's a, it's a guy who can play that four long term for the team or maybe the five spot behind Pirtle as a backup center role. What, what, are, you, what are you hearing on your end? No, I, I think that's exactly where they need to go with this thing. And I think even, even uh, you know, small forward Position two, if there's a guy out there that's versatile that maybe can play the two or the three and can shoot. I mean, you know, I know that's a big wish list, but I think that's very important. But and those, that position right there may be more important than even a big man, although the depth there is certainly needed. Um, you know, I, I love a guy like a, like a Kai Jones. I, I don't know if he'll be available at 12. Um, but I think he would be just enough. And I don't think necessarily superstar status anytime soon, but I think he's a guy that can come in and, and give this first team some of that depth that, that you guys are talking about. So, But I would really like to go with a two or three spot. And, and I think shooter at this point in time, in my view, uh, somebody that can play both of those positions and shoot the three is, is really where I'd like to see them go. 
Yeah, I mean, three-point shooting was such a need for them. There, there are a couple of these bigger guys who can stretch the floor. And again, I'm just going to list the names here. Tom, you did a great breakdown on the site, kinsvibe.com. Yep. You can find it there of these six prospects I'm about to name. We're talking Kai Jones yep. from Texas, the guy you were just talking about there, Joe. Alperen Shangun, uh, Turkish MVP, uh, always about the European MVPs there. You're talking about like a guy like Luka Doncic. Uh, Jalen Johnson from Duke. Josh Giddy, uh, the closest um, approximation to Timothy Chalamet in this draft, uh, Franz Wagner, and Usman Garuba, who might be the best defensive player uh, in the draft altogether. Tom, from those six guys, who stood out the most to you? What's the guy you're highest on? So um, what you said about Shangun is uh, spot on in that guys who at 18 years old dominate grown men in some of the most competitive leagues in the world. And, you know, he put up almost 20 and 10 in arguably the third best league in the world. So um, that that production and the skill that he used to produce it, uh, you can't argue with. Mm-hmm. The thing with Shingun that concerns me is at, at reportedly 6'10", he's a little undersized for the center position. Uh, I think he only shot like 20% from three. Uh, so he's like a throwback post-up big man. And everything that the Spurs have been building over the past couple of years, it, it doesn't really fit with that, in my opinion. If the Spurs, who brought him in for a workout, wind up drafting Shingun, it's because they believe in his ability to extend his range mm-hmm. um, and improve on defense, where, you know, he, he showed some good motor and instincts, but, you know, like most big men, struggles in space. Like most big men... You know, not not the he wasn't the best rim protector um, either because he's a little smaller and he's not the most explosive athlete. Yeah. Um, whereas if you look at a guy like Kai Jones, who I know you're high on, um, it's basically the complete opposite way to build a center. Uh, and I think it's much more suited to the modern NBA. And I think it's also much more suited to what the Spurs have built here. We're talking about a guy who's borderline seven feet tall, a long jumper. Right, like he's he's a track star, and an explosive leaper. He can defend multiple positions. He has shown a confidence from deep, and what did he hit? Thirty-eight percent in a a pretty limited uh, number of attempts, but he's got a solid base there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're talking about a guy who only started playing competitive basketball at fourteen, fifteen years old. So there's so much untapped potential with a guy like Kai Jones, uh, but there's also worries that you know maybe he he won't amount to much more than he is right now. I honestly think that if if that's the case, if if he just does what he did at the college level, uh, he would still provide this young core in San Antonio with the best lob threat they've ever had. Um, a, a pretty switchable guy on defense and somebody who can, uh, you know, really make a, a solid two-way impact in the areas that they need. Yeah. Um, but the, the guy who gets me most excited watching the tape is Jalen Johnson. Mm. Um, you know, this is, this is a player who, before he left Duke this year, uh, he was being talked about as a top six pick. Uh, and it's because... At 6'9", with a huge wingspan, uh, he's fast, he's athletic, he's agile, he's really talented uh, passer. I mean, some of, the, some of these passes are 
uh, next level stuff. And it's not just the, you know, no look fancy stuff. It's driving and occupying multiple defenders and using his body, his huge body to wall off the, the extra guy that he draws and then kick out to the open man. Um, you know, pretty much the only reason he isn't a, a top six pick in this draft, I think, is because, you know, he was dealing with a foot injury there at Duke. He decided to, you know, sit out for the rest of the season and prioritize his long-term health and, uh, and wealth. And, you know, this, this is a guy who has the potential to provide his family with generational wealth yeah. on draft night. Uh, and I don't know him, but I know that these kids are all under tremendous pressure uh, to get to that night yeah. and do as well as possible on that night. So, um, you know, he left Duke, he left IMG Academy. Uh, if the Spurs had to convince him to play for free, I'd be worried. They're going to be able to pay him. <laughs> so uh, I'm not as worried about the, like, character concerns stuff with him. And he seems like the perfect combination of skills and size to be a player to take a big swing on, right? Yeah. We're always talking about how it's diff- like the Spurs can't bring in a free agent superstar. They basically will have to draft one. And uh, the guy that I think will be available at 12 that has the clearest path to superstardom in the league is Jalen Johnson. His situation, and, and Joe, I don't know if you agree with me here, his situation reminds me of DeJounte Murray, a guy with quote-unquote character issues who, who falls in the draft. Of course, the Spurs capitalize in that fall. Of course, uh, DeJounte's fall would be a little larger of, of a drop here than Jalen's looking at. Um, a guy who stands out to me is uh, Usman Garuba who uh, maybe it's recency bias. Maybe it was watching him defend guys like Kevin Durant when Spain matched up against the USA in the exhibition games. Uh, that guy is, uh, yeah, like you were saying about Shangun, uh, if you can dominate grown men at your age, uh, that, that stands out. Garuba belonged. He, he showed that he belonged in the league as a defensive player, uh, bodying up some of those US, USA professional players who are some of the best in the world. Um, now, Joe, if they get a guy like Garuba, who is a defensive standout, great interior passer, he reminds me of Boris Diaw on some of his passes. Um, but unlike Boris Diaw, he has no three-point shot. If they go out and get a guy who does nothing to bolster what was already one of the worst three-point shooting teams, um, is, is that a blown pick in, in, your, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it is a blown pick. And I agree with you. I, I watched him uh, with, with Kevin Durant, and, and the guy's not afraid to get up there and, and defend anybody. And that's a good thing to have. And obviously, defense is the cornerstone of the San Antonio Spurs. But I would prefer a big guy that can stretch the, the floor and can move some bodies out and, and uh, be a legitimate three-point shot. I mean, that's got to be that's got to be. Um, a prerequisite for anybody, I would think, or at least a guy that they figure that they can work with to develop that. Um, but but I think it's got to be somebody that that's not just a defensive player, that's not just a traditional center uh, or big man. It's got to be a guy that can move players outside and and be a three point threat. I mean, that, that's just the way the NBA is now, yeah. uh, and and that's where it's going. That's what I think going to be for a long time, and I think that's the kind of player the Spurs need. So you're asking me if it'd be a blown pick? In my opinion, yeah, I think it would be. So the other two guys we didn't haven't haven't gotten to on this list of six are uh, Josh Giddey and Franz Wagner. Uh, Franz Wagner being the younger brother of Mo Wagner, um, who uh, we played for Michigan as well, uh, and and really didn't kind of. I mean, it's it's early in this guy's career, but he hasn't made kind of the 
it's not a blown pick per se, but he hasn't shown as some as, as bright as some of the other picks in that draft. Uh, Franz is considered to be a little better than his brother at this age. He's a little smaller, but he's still a defensive stalwart. Uh, can, can expand the range there. Uh, and then the other guy, Josh Giddy, of the six, might be the best three-point shooter of this group of taller guys. Uh, also, just the best head of hair. I'm just going to keep reiterating that as well. Tom, either of these That's always important, to, by the way. Always important. I mean, look at this podcast. Always here, so. important, yeah. We, <laughs> I, I think that um, Franz Wagner is like... He, he and Garuba are two of the best wing defenders in this draft. They've both got tremendous size and... I mean, their ability to stay in front and really harass basically anybody. Like, these guys, you can legit switch one through five. Yeah. And Wagner has a little bit more of an offensive game that, I mean, like, he's a streaky shooter, but there was a stretch where he was over 40% from deep mm-hmm. for a long a long ways. Uh, he is actually displaying some really interest. He's 6'9 or 6'10. Really interesting playmaking ability. Like, taking the ball and pick and roll, making passes, one-handers, no looks. Um, And he can do more traditional big man things as well. Uh, So he's really intriguing to me and somebody who could go as high as like seven to the, to the Warriors. Mm. Um, And Giddy as well. He's got, you know, more mid lottery uh, projections a lot of the time. And it's because he's probably the best passer in this draft. Um, he averaged 10, 7, and 7 uh, for the Adelaide 36ers in Australia's NBL. And, I mean, like, he makes plays where you, you look at it and you have to rewind and say, okay, how do you do that? And most often the answer is that he just read the play, like, before anybody else even thought to do anything. Yeah. Um, and he's just so far ahead. He manipulates the defense with his eyes. And Wagner, too, uh, to a degree. Not as not as good as Giddy. The the thing with Giddy though is I, I think he needs to work on that three point shot. I think uh, he was only like twenty nine percent in Australia, um, but like he's shown more of that recently. And the thing with Giddy, he's only eighteen, and he's going to be eighteen on draft night. So yeah, he needs he needs to hit the weights. But guess what? He's eighteen and he has time to hit the weights. He needs to get better at defense. Okay, but he's got time, um, and you know. If the Spurs are going for a guy like John Collins in the offseason, if, if they're confident about that, then I think that opens them up to take a guy like Giddy who, you know, plays in a more of a different mold. Mm. Um, I, I disagree a little bit, Joe, with the, the blown pick thing because whoever they pick, I don't know if they're going to wind up in Austin, but I also don't know how many minutes they're going to be there for in their rookie year. Mm. Uh, and, you know... We all know about Chip England, right? So if the guy isn't a dead-eye sure. shooter or at least a spacing threat from the jump, I think I think the main thing is they can't draft somebody who can't become a shooter. Like if if there's if there's absolutely no base and they think we can't work with this, then it's going to be a problem. But uh, you know, all of these guys are pretty young. All of them like they can work with them on this. So uh, if he can't shoot right away on draft night, that's not going to concern me as much yeah. because, you know, just okay. looking at the depth chart for next year, 
I, so, I don't know how much that Tom, Tom's bigger on a big guy, a bigger prospect here. Joe, uh, you're talking about shooters, shot creators, things like that. Some of the guys on that list that, that might be uh, considered at the 12 spot are guys like Moses Moody, Corey Kispert, Trey Murphy, Chris, Dru- Chris Duarte. These are guys who are more polished offensively in terms of hitting a three-point sh- three shot uh, and creating shots, driving, things like that uh, for, for, the, for the teammates as well. It also seems like a lot of the 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 best three point shooters are just out of range for the for the Spurs, you know, and that's maybe mm-hmm. why we're hearing rumors that they may be moving up in the draft. Again, we're also hearing rumors they may be moving back in the draft. So <laughs> rumors are what they are, and uh, and that may be seen. But if they do move up to a draft, it's, it move up to draft a, a better three point shooter. Uh, it sounds like maybe the Kings at the nine spot is a pick that's being shopped alongside. Um, alongside some of their contracts like Marvin Bagley. Uh, it sounds like Oklahoma City is always in the market for more picks, moving back from that sixth spot as well. Um, th- there's, there's some options there. It just seems like it might be too much capital for them to give up. Um, but a guy like, you know, Corey Kispert, who, who, who at Gonzaga was just a dead-eye shooter until it came to the, the biggest mm-hmm. stage, right, in the national championship, and he, and he couldn't buy a bucket against that Baylor team. Uh, is, is that kind of the names you're looking at, Joe, when you're looking at three-point shooters? Well, you know, a lot of what I've seen in, in a lot of mock drafts have Moody at, at 12. Seems to be a popular pick among some of the mock drafts that I've seen. So, uh, you know, Duarte is another guy that I think would be would be a good fit there. Uh, Kispert is great. And I think he's, he's certainly coachable, but you're right. I mean, that's that's got to put something in your mind. What happened on the biggest stage? You know, it, it, does that happen? Although he's a young kid and it's it's okay and – um, you know, I think he can grow out of that. But but Moody is a guy that's intriguing to me, uh, along with Duarte. I think either one of those guys would be a good fit here in San Antonio. Um, you know, and, and moving up or down, I, I think, is key because I think some of the guys we just talked about, uh, a Kai Jones, a Bogner, I think if the Spurs are interested in either one of those guys, they're going to have to move up. I don't think they last till 12. So, uh, you know, I, it all depends on who they have circled on their – on their uh, whiteboard, so to yeah. speak. I mean, who's the guy that they want? And they're, they're talking about that now, and they know as well as we do. Look, if we want this guy, we really want him, we're going to have to move up. Or we can move down, and he'll still be there uh, when we pick at 15 or 16 or whatever the case may be. So, I, you know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall right now in that uh, situation room because you know they're talking about it. And they're drawing plan B, C, D, and E right now. So, um a lot of choices, which makes it nice because a lot of guys that we've talked about right here, um, you know, would fit in well here. So I think the Spurs are in a really good situation heading into this draft. I would agree. And I think you also just have to look at the overall situation for the Spurs. You know, I don't think they're drafting a guy to win this year or next year. You know, this is this is a team that's going to continue to rise. The whole team will rise with the tide as well over the next three years, I think, is the window here to get these young prospects up and up and going. Uh, that kind of fits in the time window of uh, DeJounte Murray entering his prime, Derek White kind of entering his prime as well. So so that kind of lines up with, with what you're talking about here. Uh, they're not going for a win now kind of guy. That being said, though, if you look at the teams that were in the playoffs and had success in the playoffs, uh, to, to me, it really came down to just having playable, go-ahead-now depth, guys who could stop the other team and, and uh, also shoot a three-pointer. So that might be a reason why they do move up. Tom, uh, tomorrow night, do you see them picking in the 12th spot? Do you see them kind of dancing around in the draft a bit? What, what's, what's your uh, ideal situation here for the Spurs? Well, I think that moving up is going to be tough for them unless they're giving up, you know, significant pieces of the young core and I don't see them doing that Mm. exactly like it would it would surprise me if they made a significant trade up 
I think that a trade back, uh, there are a couple of teams with multiple first-round picks, the Knicks, the Thunder, um, and if they could get a couple of picks later in the teens, uh, and you know, there, there's a chance that Jalen Johnson slides way back there, mm-hmm. and and also in that range, you've got guys like Zaire Williams and Trey Murphy, who are you know s- floor spacers and shooters, but six nine. Yeah, um, and um, you know Duarte and Kispert are are very solid players. 22 and 24 years old. Uh, and, you know, I think everybody on draft night is, you know, moldable and young. Uh, and every, all of them are now younger than me. I, I remember it was weird that, like, you know, when I reached the age where, like, the first pick is always going to be younger than me. Now every NBA draft pick for the rest of time is going to be younger than me because I'm old and washed. <laughs> but um, Well, you get you used know. to it, Petrini, I, I promise. Uh, it's been that way for me for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm not as old as you yet, but uh, we'll, we'll, get there. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Uh, but, like, you know, in terms of draft capital, right, you're, you want – if you draft a guy who has five years to get better than the guy who's being drafted in the same range at the same age, like – you want the guy who's a little younger because he's got a little more potential. Uh, it's it's going to be, I think, the more win-now teams that are looking at guys like Kispert and Duarte. Mm. Um, you know, I, I that's how I, I envision it going. Um, but, yeah, I, I find Moses Moody really intriguing, and um, James Booknight is a really solid three-level scorer. Um, yeah. So, you know, if one of those guys falls um, – and the Spurs are like, he's the best available. You know, Kai Jones is off the board. We're not in love with Shingun. We don't want to use the 12th pick on Jalen Johnson. Whatever it is, they might pick a guard, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, there's a big trade coming. Um, you know, it, it could just be this guy's the best available. So, Joe, I'm putting you on the clock. It's ticking here. You, you're in the war room for the Spurs. Who's the guy circled on your whiteboard? What's, what's the most ideal outcome? This guy's still on the board. We're taking him A-plus draft. I'm taking Kai Jones. If he if he falls to 12, I would take him at 12. Uh, I think Jalen Johnson, too, is another guy that um, I, I think I'd pull the trigger. And, and, and I say that at 12 because I think this guy may be the best um, outside shot maker the three-point guy that I think that I've been talking about, I'd like to see that. So um, either one of those guys I would. And if it comes down to uh, to one of the guards that we're talking about, I think I think either Duarte or Moody are, are intriguing to me as well at that pick. So I would stay there, and, and uh, those are four guys that I'd be interested in taking. Tom, is this, is this a good draft class? Is this a deep draft class? I think class? it's a really good draft class. Like there are guys in this class who are reminding me of players – uh, who were mocked much higher last year. Mm. Like, like Kai Jones, to me, uh, I'm, I'm getting Patrick Williams vibes because he's the one that's going to the Spurs in all of these drafts and keeps shooting up the boards, and it's like, he's raw. He was a backup last year, but, like, oh, my God, he could be so good. And that, to me, is Kai Jones in this year's draft. Um, and, like, there, there are absolutely no questions about this kid's uh, – drive and attitude and all of that every interview i've seen with him i've fallen a little deeper in love like he he's very like you know he's a kid from the islands right he's he's very soft-spoken very chilled out but like (laughs) like in that voice he's talking about 
you know, I just want to play with a level of violence. Like that's what me and coach talked about. Just playing with a level of violence. And, and he does. Uh, I, w- I was going through the tape yesterday and man, like this kid is a high flyer and like he, in this draft class, I think I vote him most likely to, you know, catch an alley-oop and scream at you. Uh, and just like, I want to see him and Keldon Johnson, like Johnson and Johnson screaming into each other's faces <laughs> I want to see it. Um, I, I, if if the Spurs draft Kai Jones, I would be I would be over the moon. There there are a couple of guys in this draft who, like him and Jalen Johnson, are my top two. Um, but there are a bunch. Every other guy on this list, if they draft him, I, I would be somewhere between like okay or okay. <laughs> uh, there, it's it would be hard for them to make a bad pick here. So, I mean, mm-hmm. given yep. Kai Jones is a soft-spoken guy from the Caribbean uh, playing a big position here, do you guys already have your scripts ready to, to draw the comparisons to Tim Duncan? Oh, is, that, sure. is that where we're heading can't, here? Can't so. wait. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get him in a We had a lot of success with, with guys from the islands, so that's yeah. good. It's a, it's, a, it's a good way to live, I think. There, so. there was uh, some reporting that he, he went to dinner with the Spurs, got some salmon, talked about some old Spurs greats. I imagine Tim Duncan came up in conversation, uh, and Schengen as well. <laughs> he he talked about talking to the the Spurs about being uh, very heavily influenced by Tim Duncan. So um, the the thing with with Kai though, like if you ask him the players that that he's watching, like I think Tim Duncan maybe retired before he started playing basketball. <laughs> That's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that the Spurs draft a kid from the islands. Who started playing basketball after Tim Duncan retired from his professional career? That, that's wild. Uh, but he 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 likes Giannis and KD and like, you know, he does have some intriguing potential as a secondary playmaker at that size. Um, so, yeah, Kai, Kai Jones. A, a lot of people were were talking about. A lot of people love him, and then the people who don't are like, you only love him because he went to Texas and jumps high. And there's so much more to <laughs> Kai Jones than that. I mean, I also like him because he went to Texas and Joe Those are two so. great reasons. <laughs> Hook him. Right, yes. But, like... Ooh. Okay, we're going we're gonna to cut that, put the <laughs> gift going. So uh, it's, only, it's only the horns down that they're going to get me in trouble for. That's right. So, I mean, we're 24 hours away from it now. If you're listening to this podcast, we're, we're recording on Wednesday. So uh, you, you have plenty of time to listen to it before the draft happens. And, of course, you can find us with all the coverage the night of as well. Tom, you'll be on the digital side and Joe, of course, on TV. Yes, before we wrap today, I just have two more points to bring up. Do you guys see the rumors that uh, the Celtics are intrigued uh, uh, intrigued by the prospects of bringing Patty Mills into the organization? Thoughts on maybe Mills not being back with the Spurs next year? I did see that. Um, I, I think that the Spurs would really miss his presence. Um, you know, they'd miss his shooting. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's an invaluable leader on this team. Um, you know, contract was a little bloated the last couple of years. Uh, but I mean, you know, he, he's the, the last guy from that 2014 team. And I think that, um, you know, like the, the vets in the past year, if all of them are gone, they all were consummate pros about, uh, helping the young guys develop. And I think you could ask any player on that team and they would say that they have tremendous amount of love for, Patty Mills and DeMar DeRozan and Rudy Gay, uh, who, no matter where they go after this, the the kids who came up in here, those are going to be their vets. Yeah. You know? Um, and, 
what, what a valuable experience that has been for them, I think. Yeah, Joe, is it time to go complete clean slate, wipe off the, the last vestige of that championship era, or is the Spurs do the Spurs need a guy like Patty Mills back on this roster next year? Uh, I think they absolutely need a guy like Patty Mills. Obviously, I'd like to see, you know, a lot cheaper than he was. Tom mentioned the bloated contract. But you bring in a guy like Patty Mills, automatically your locker room is 100% better. I don't care what team he goes to. The locker room is 100% better. And to me, that's a very valuable commodity to have, not to mention the fact that, you know, he's uh, he's a pretty legit three-point shooter. I think we can all agree on that, uh, most of the time anyway. And so I think, you know, that's off the bench, somebody like that, instant offense is very valuable. I would love to see Patty Mills stay here in San Antonio, finish his career right here. It makes a lot of sense why a team like the Celtics would be interested in him, a team which, you know, hasn't always had the the best locker room vibes over the last few years and also could use another three-point shooting point guard uh, shot creator in that regard as well. I I feel a lot of the same way about, you know, Patty as I do with DeMar and that they're both like – exceptional grade a human beings yeah and if they if they do leave i would be really sad that i don't get to talk to these guys very much anymore it's a really good um but i i think that the the case for keeping patty is a little bit more manageable because you know he's cheaper and plays a smaller role and it's a role that the spurs have a little bit more need for than primary shot creator um so you know if I was a betting man, I would I would guess that you know, uh, Patty would be much more likely to be back than Demar, um, and you know, Patty loves this community. He he loves it here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's yep. really engaged, and um, you know he he is. Uh, Spurs basketball. Yeah, I wonder if the, the the connection there of Udoka being in Boston now and um, yeah. the other Brian Wright. Is that the assistant coach? Not Brian, right? Brian's the GM. Um, Blanking on the assistant coach's Will, name now. Will Hardy. Will Hardy, right. thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. name's confused. You know, there's a little Spurs connection there. I can see see why they would want to bring him up there. Uh, it would be a shame, I think, for the Spurs to not see Patty finish his career here and uh, alongside Popovich as well. Yeah. Um, last point, guys, before we wrap. Did you see the video of DeJounte Murray hitting Dame Dimes 30-foot uh, 30 30 three-pointers in the Seattle Pro-Am game? What What is, what is a guy like DeJounte Murray, if he can add that to his consistent game, what does that mean for him and for the Spurs next year? I mean, if he's I don't think we've up, seen the best of DeJounte Murray yet. I don't think we have. I think this guy is just now, and you you brought it up in, in a glancing blow there, Jackson, just a minute ago, that he's in his prime. And I, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. And that's why when I see these trade rumors involving DeJounte Murray, I just kind of laugh because, I mean, you know, Pop's not a dumb guy. Brian Wright's not a dumb guy. I mean, these guys have to see that this guy has improved steadily year after year. And, and I think his best years are ahead of him. Uh, and I think he will be an all-star before it's all said and done multiple times uh the guy's just got a lot of room to grow he's got a huge heart and uh, i think his best years are ahead and so and i think just what you talked about uh, are the potential that he still has and, and some of the the uh the ammo that he's got left in his pocket the thing that i think about with Dejounte murray and his growth as a as a player in person is that Every year he's improved. Mm. Every single year he has gotten better at what he does and added a little something new. Like when he got drafted, the question was like, oh, he's, you know, this really shifty scorer, driver with the ball, but like, can he lock in on defense? And then 
second team all defense. Uh, you know, okay, he can he can slash, but can he shoot at all? And then he develops a really consistent mid-range game. I think the last thing that he has to check off his list to becoming a complete basketball player uh, is that three-point shot. And I don't think he's going to be pulling up regularly from, you know, feet behind the line. I, I think that, you know, in in uh, the, the crossover, we're, we're going to get some, some more uh, – you know, highlight plays like that. There was one where he lobbed it off the backboard from like beyond the three point line <laughs> to himself and caught it with like his go go gadget arm and whoosh, cranked it. Uh, that one was a ton of fun. I want to see him do that in game in the NBA. Uh, but like, even if he can just stand at the three point arc and if he's open and gets the ball, shoot it. Um, you know, and and he's made strides in that area, but if he can be a, a 38 percent three point shooter next year, I mm-hmm. I think I think he'd probably be an all star. Yeah, next year he he's definitely as a guy who puts the work in. Like you're saying, every offseason he improves, and yep. he's uh very vocal about uh, how much that means to him to to be a guy who who is a consistent hard worker. I just I just want to say on Dejounte Murray being vocal, don't read his tweets <laughs> just just don't do it because like you know for for all of his growth he is a person who tweets and instagrams like you know he's trying to get one person's attention and you have no idea who that person is uh, so i i wouldn't uh i wouldn't put too much uh i, I wouldn't lose sleep over Dejounte murray tweets if i was a spurs fan yeah maybe not read his uh, tweets but read our tweets you can find tom petrini yeah. at real tom petrini <laughs> joe ryanagle at joe kins five i'm at jackson kins five i have a lot of takes to offer on uh, sandwiches and uh spurs basketball also don't read those tweets <laughs> the, the food ones are a nightmare they will keep you up i swear to god do not do not even venture in that direction. The only thing that's going to keep me up is anticipation for draft day. Thank you guys for joining me as we break it all down for you all at the Big Fun Pod, Ken's Fives Spurs podcast. This is the official TV station of the San Antonio Spurs, and we'll talk to you guys next time. This man said peanut butter, jelly, and queso. He's a sick freak. <laughs> <laughs>